Yeah. This disqualifies 90% of people who are talking online right now. <laughs> and and I don't I don't say that in an elitist way at right. all. Because um, you would throw yourself into that mix too. I don't know about this stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so a lot of I've had people say to me, like, oh, you don't do a lot of politics on Facebook. It might be because you don't like to argue. It's like, no, actually, I'm 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 fine with arguing. I don't have a subject specialization in anything. Yeah that's being discussed. Like I would be, I'd be really out of my league in most policy conversations. I just don't know much about it. Welcome to Faith in the Folds, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today I sat down with my friend Bob Turder. I first met Bob when he was a librarian at the Harding School of Theology in Memphis. I love talking with Bob about my classwork, current events, or trends in churches when we overlapped at HST. These days, though, Bob is the senior minister for the Church of Christ at White Station in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was glad to talk with him about how we can disagree without being jerks to each other. We actually modeled the practice of disagreeing well in our conversation when I teased him about the merits of Jonathan Haidt versus Jordan Peterson. All joking aside, though, Bob's main point is worth taking to heart. We must learn the difference between arguing and being argumentative. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having here on the podcast, would you be willing to like and subscribe to us and maybe share us with someone you think who might benefit from this? And as always, thank you all so much for tuning in today. Bob, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate you being able to sit down with us and talk to us about what we're going to get to here in just a minute. Before we do that, though, can you tell us briefly kind of how you got into ministry, how long you've been, where you are, and all that? Yeah, I took the normal route that everyone takes to become a preacher, which is uh, 11 years of being a theological librarian. (laughs) No, in 2009, I graduated with my MDiv uh, from Harding here in Memphis, started working in the Harding School of Theology Library. Mm -hmm. During that time, I started preaching pretty regularly at our church here at White Station. And uh, in 2015, started preaching twice a month. Our senior minister, Rodney Plunkett, announced his retirement in um, 2019. Mm-hmm. I just happened to be at White Station on that Sunday. Like, oh, I, really? I just, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think I was coming back from Harding's lectureship or something. I just happened to be there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so 2020, they have a big search. And then I stepped into this role full-time, leaving Harding in November of 2020. So, um, you know, about five months on the job here. Yeah. All right. Not much longer uh, there that I've been uh, down here where I'm at. Uh, We started in August of 2020. Who knew that uh, during the pandemic was prime time to get a new ministry job, right? I know. Yeah. I mean, and I I feel guilty sometimes because the pandemic has been really good to us and it's been a really hard time and for some people, but uh, we feel really blessed about where we are and incredibly hopeful about our future as a church. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost weird to say the pandemic has been really good to us. But in a lot of ways, the pandemic has kind of uh, maybe burned away the chaff uh, w- w- with some things 
and has kind of laid bare new opportunities and new new potentials for for things. That's a, strange how that has worked out. Without question, and I think the challenge for us as a church right now is like early in the pandemic, we said, okay, we're never going back to the way things used to be. We're gonna we're going to you know get rid of all this old stuff and we're gonna move ahead. The the naivete though is that during the pandemic we also learned things, and so uh, the question for us as a church was like, okay, so last April we decided that we were never going to be the same again, but then there was also last June, and there was also last August, and there was also last November, and so it's not like we can stop learning. And right. so there were some things about the pandemic that we thought, okay, it's good that this is really good. And so like some meetings moved to Zoom that should have been on Zoom a long time ago. That was great. Those will stay. But then there was some things we underestimated. And, and so uh, we had not really equipped people as well as I would have liked to if I could go back. And I, I think we learned like, man, uh, one of our statements we use around here is we're an everyday church and we want people to be uh, people involved in relationships with discipleship and evangelism as part of their daily walk. Well, you can't just flip a switch and watch that happen. And so how well are we actually equipping people <laughs> yeah. to lead Bible studies? How well are we equipping people to host worship services on their patios? How well are we equipping people to go for a walk in the neighborhood and have a spiritual conversation with their friend or their neighbor? And so that's the challenge I see going forward is like, we, we can't just snap our fingers and say those things are to happen. We need to equip and, and move in that direction. So as much as we feel like we have a new future, we also are trying to learn from some of our mistakes along the way. Yeah, yeah. Neat that you mentioned um, you know, everyday church and kind of some of the examples that you give of that. Um, I just last week, at the time of recording, just last week had a conversation with a trio of campus minister guys. Um, I, I think at least a couple of those guys you would know that, um, that were talking about ways in which they have seen their college students you know, actually be able to teach some older generation Christians of you know, just kind of everyday evangelism techniques of you know, striking striking up pretty non-threatening conversations in the grocery store with folks, and then eventually finding out that you know these uh, you know, these older, more mature Christians think, okay, well that's not so scary. I I, I can actually do that kind of thing. Um, you mentioned you know you know Bible studies or you know worship services on your patios, or especially taking walks in the neighborhood, that kind of thing. That um, a lot of overlap. With, uh, with that conversation that I had with those guys and uh, what you just mentioned today. So, Bob, to get into our topic today, um, I, I'm, I'm excited about this because I, I think it'd be pretty interesting. The, what we're going to cover today is how to disagree without being a jerk. And I have to ask, Bob, did you arrive at this topic because you have a lot of experience being a jerk? I'm a jerk. Um, <laughs> totally a jerk. My wife will tell it. you that um, the, at my best moments, I cover it up. Well, right. so, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it, you know, it's like, um, inside of us, there's this person that we don't want other people to see. Am I, am I one of those people? Mm -hmm. I, I realized, um, I've kind of come to my journey thinking about this through a few, a few ways. One of them is that I think that, um, the distinction in arguing and being argumentative. Mm -hmm. And so in my undergraduate, I remember a teacher making that distinction for us and, people would say, well, I don't, I don't argue. And she was like, no, you don't want to be argumentative. I like you do that. want to argue that arguing is simply putting an idea out there for consumption or for um, to become better or to be improved on. 
And so um, everything we do is making a case and making an argument where mm-hmm. we eat, how we spend our money. What do we do? That's making an argument. Being argumentative is, um, I would say, a posture in which you're trying to bait people in an annoying way. And yeah, I like that. Being an unnecessary devil's advocate when there's nothing to be gained from the conversation. Um, I think that um, we have, unfortunately, though, used the word argue to think like being a jerk. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, you just want to argue with me. No, I, no. So uh, to return it to like Jesus, I mean, I would say Jesus argues a lot. Um, I, I would say yeah. Jesus's opponents are argumentative. Mm. I wouldn't say Jesus is argumentative at all, mm-hmm. but he has an incredibly firm point of view. Um, if you say something ridiculous, he will challenge it. If you say something mean spirited, he will come back. Yeah. And, and that's just part of like being, um, an adult and then also knowing how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, how to handle somebody challenging something you put out there without taking offense. And so there's also like this, how to respond without being a jerk, how to handle feedback without being defensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and you and I, because of the amount of time that we spent, especially in, in graduate level settings, you almost get used to that. And they're like, I mean, there were times when I would remember um, because I got married halfway through my MDiv program there at HST, uh, you know, the whole four years that I was there, you were also there as uh, as one of the librarians. So there are times when I distinctly remember, you know, being I was either writing a paper or, um, you know, I, I was uh, I, I was studying something and I was preparing you know, for for an exam or something like that. And I knew both sides or all the sides of the argument um, for whatever the topic it was. And then I'd get home and then you know, Linnea would say something and I would, I would start you know, picking. It's like, well, actually, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to go that way with it. And like eventually I realized like, okay, I, I'm not at school anymore. Yeah. I, I need to step back just a moment. It was especially bad when I was, when I was working on my dissertation later at Asbury, because I would like, there'd be a couple of chapters where I'd have to really go after some guys that I disagreed with. And uh, there were a few times I was like, okay, I'm, you know, this is not me arguing with you about, about dinner is not the same as me arguing with these guys about, about social memory theory and the criteria of authenticity for historical Jesus study. We're in different ball games here. I was being argumentative for getting also the rules of the process of in, I mean, engaging in a constructive argument. Bob, yeah, how, yeah. how can we have a constructive argument? Yeah, so I came to this, uh, one of the contexts I came to this was that I was a teacher of book reviews. And mm-hmm. so one of the most important things we do in grad school is write book reviews. And I was trying to prepare people in their first year of um, academic work, how to review a book. Well, I, I realized quickly that that's more than just reviewing a book. It can also be that you're reviewing an article that you read. Okay. Well, it could also be reviewing anything you ever read and need to make a response to. There's kind of a general procedure that people are taught to go through. Mm -hmm. And that's when I developed uh, this idea of what are some principles and how to argue without being a jerk? Because um, 
if if there's any topic, there's going to be multiple sides, and you have to somehow get on one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so I just thought, you know, like this is like this is all that life is. I mean, this is reading the newspaper. This is watching television. Right. Is this idea that somehow you have to frame a response mm-hmm. and do it in a way that's helpful? So, uh, Bob, it one sounds, of the thing- it sounds uh, you know incredibly like critical thinking. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, right. That's, yeah, that's I mean, like Alan, what you're describing, right? Alan Jacobs has that book, How to Think, which I thought, uh-huh. I thought was a really good book, by the way. Um, and and the way that I would frame it for students and help them is like, okay, let's not talk about book reviews. Let's talk about Yelp. Okay, so like, okay, imagine you're writing a Yelp review rather than writing a book review. Yeah, how could you do this in a way to be helpful? So, one of the things I would say is that if you want to, if you want to argue that being a jerk. You have to know your subject remotely as well as the person you're in conversation with. Ooh, okay. So you have to master your subject. Yeah. This disqualifies 90% of people who are talking online right now. <laughs> and and I don't I don't say that in an elitist way at right. all. Because um, you would throw yourself into that mix too. I don't know about this stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so a lot of I've had people say to me, like, oh, you don't do a lot of politics on Facebook. It might be because you don't like to argue. It's like, no, actually I'm, I'm, I'm fine with arguing. I don't have a subject specialization in anything Yeah, that's being discussed. Like I would be, I'd be really out of my league in most policy conversations. I yeah. just don't know much about it. You know, what's funny is that I've heard, I've heard Jerry Seinfeld make the same comment <laughs> about his, like about political humor. Like people will ask. Now there's him, a guy. I have subject specialization in Jerry Seinfeld. Right, I could see, talk yeah. about that. And that's right. I, I figured if I th- if I dangled that carrot. Right now you're talking my language. Like, yeah. Yeah. So like Jerry Seinfeld, he's a guy that doesn't have a ton of political humor out there. A right. lot of his is like you know family or like just social observations things like yeah. that. But it's not it's not super political. And I've heard him say he's like he, he just doesn't feel like he does that stuff very well, so he stays away from it. And so like the great, and by the way, it's not like there's some standard of what everybody needs to know to talk about this stuff. I mean, you need to have a subject specialization that brings you into the conversation of the person you want to talk to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like how you specify that at a personal level. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, and so it's, it's like, um, no, I don't think that to have a, a conversation about, um, Joe Biden's infrastructure policy. I don't think you have to be a city planner to talk about that. Right. But I do think that whoever you're addressing, you should have as much subject specialization as they do. So, um, which is where you get people in the comment section of the <laughs> online newspaper, which right. is they have, they yeah. know nothing about anything. Right. But they all talk to each other, so I guess maybe 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 they they do have enough specialization as the people sure. they're talking to. But yeah, so for for the world that I was in in theological librarianship, it was like, well, if if you're um, if you're reading a book and you're going to review the book, and I, I don't say this in a condescending way that I trust that you have read the book. <laughs> that's the that's the bare minimum you can do, and, right? Right, and then perhaps you've read other books on that topic yeah or other kinds of literature so mm-hmm. that doesn't um if you're reviewing uh the encyclopedia uh, i read i wrote a review one time of um of uh religion and popular music i'm not a music 
I'm not a music expert at all, but I'd read a lot of other reference works. And so I, I wrote my review from the perspective of a person who's a librarian who did a lot of work in reference works. Yeah. And so how does this behave as a reference work and what do we expect out of reference works and right. how, does, how would a librarian, those kinds of things. And, and I wrote it for a journal that was dealing with librarianship and should you add this to your collection? Sure. So yeah. find out a way that somehow you have a niche I know that this sounds, when I say this, it like almost sounds like I'm telling people not to talk. I'm not. I'm the very last person who would tell people not to have an opinion, not to talk. I think everybody should talk and I think everybody should have big opinions. I do think people should find people to talk to who are like in a reasonable conversation zone. Yeah. And like um, who we can learn from each other and add to each other. And so, um, how useful is it to have a prior relationship with those kinds of people? Uh, well, if we're hoping they'll grow and learn, pretty important because you don't really learn outside <laughs> the context of relationships. So I, I, I toss you that that softball because basically I want to get to the point. You, you mean yelling at strangers on the internet probably is the most effective yeah, use of my use of my time. Yeah, not many converts. I mean, you know, I mean, Pentecost had thousands of converts. I'm not sure how many have been made on Facebook. I, I, <laughs> and, and, and part yeah. of that is just that the media shapes the message. And so if you're talking to a stranger, you're not expecting any sort of intimate life change available. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Um, my experience yeah. in life is that people are the most blunt and honest with the people they have the least, um, the least chance of changing. And we are the most passive and milk toast with the people that we have the most chance of changing. Yeah. And a so, lot of times, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, um, I, I think, and when I think about this, like, how do we review things? Like, let me give you a few examples. I, yeah. um, one thing that we would teach, and I think it's really important for however we talk about a topic is like, you have to be a subject, you have to understand the subject, but then also you have to be able to talk about a topic in a way that helps a person understand describe what you're doing. And so in an argument, not, not a face-to-face -face argument, but especially a written argument, uh, say you're writing a Yelp review and you're, you're describing a pizzeria. Um, I don't find it very helpful at all to walk in and be like, I thought this was nasty. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what that means. And I'm but, not trying to be argumentative. Like I have no idea what that means. Yeah. I think it's incredibly helpful. Um, to describe what was on the menu, mm -hmm. uh, how many people are in the kitchen, uh, is this gas, is this wood fired, um, what kind of, what style of pizzas are we doing here, Yeah. what's the price point on the menu, was it crowded, was it empty, how many, how many seats were there, reservation, not reservation, how fresh are the pizzas when they come out, I mean, are they, um, is it a, you know, what's the roster of ingredients? Are they from cans? Are they doing fresh, fresh things? Mm -hmm. I think interviewing, and I, I don't mean that word stiffly, but like asking a few questions of the operator. Yeah. Like, what are you guys trying to do here? Is this supposed to be a budget place or is this supposed to be date night or right. yeah. is this supposed to be a place that I come twice a year or twice a month? And then including those details and how you talk about something really helps the people you talk to appreciate what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you're like, Hey, that pizza is not the best I've had. And they say like, Oh, tell me more about it. And you're like, well, it was a hot and ready from little Caesars. And I was driving on the side of the road. I pulled off, I grabbed one. It was $6. Yeah. 
if you added that color, I think that your audience would be like, oh, well, I mean. What'd you expect? That sounds about right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What'd you expect? And then yeah. I think if you said like, I had the most delicious pizza, it was $26. It used fresh buffalo mozzarella <laughs> and it was made in a wood oven. And it was made, you know, the guy who made it grew up in Naples. Yeah. <laughs> Not Florida. It was like, right. yeah, that I bet I bet that was awesome. Yeah. Now that you've added that color, and by the way, I'd love to have one of those, but I I think once you add that conversation, it lets everybody in the in the conversation know what the scope is, what we're hoping, yeah. you know, and not just beating each other over with kind of like ad homonyms, like that's gross, that's terrible, awful, never coming back. Yeah. And, and so in any argument, I think the same things apply where letting a person know kind of what you're saying, the details of what we're trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I don't care how volatile the topic is. Um, and so like, let's just pull off a really volatile topic. I mean, churches and LGBTQ. Yeah. Well, um, if you kind of describe your point of view is like, are you saying what you're saying because you think that we read the Bible wrong? Or are you saying what you're saying because you think we've treated people in a really mean way? And mm -hmm. both of those things may or may not be true, but kind of giving some color and some description right, to what yeah. you're trying to say helps people as they talk to you um, understand how to engage this. And if they understand how to step in the room it's it's less likely we're going to treat people in a really demeaning way. Bob, let me ask uh, let me ask you this uh, because based on what you've been describing, it sounds almost as if there might be some unwritten rules or expectations for how to have a discussion that might involve some disagreement in much the same way as there are just unwritten rules for social interaction in general. Is that fair? Yes, I mean there's totally unwritten rules um of kind of how you how you proceed i mean yeah you know in like an argument or a conversation it's like i mean i would definitely think one person's talking about a topic and the other person starts getting personal and throwing yeah. ad hominems and well okay now you broke the rule right yeah i thought we were talking about a topic you decided you wanted to make it personal i mean like that that'd be one i think yeah um I think that assuming the worst in your conversation partner. I, I was going to mention that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and so um, assuming I, I think of things objectively and I'm using data, but you think of things subjectively and you use feelings. Mm -hmm. Well, there, there's, there's no good way to come out there. And yeah. so that, that's one I would use. Because with that, you know, you're using, you're, you're, you're at least perceiving that you're using different rules. So again, yeah. the rules are different. I'm you I'm have an agenda. I want what's best for the people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so those are just ways. I think those are, if we can call them jerkish, <laughs> like those are jerky ways of talking. It's like um you're gonna you're gonna twist this midway to make me lose. Right. And uh, Jonathan Haidt talks about that in his book, The Righteous Mind. Um, that every argument is based on kind of a social construction where we're making things up as we go along to suit our need. And, and, and Haidt says, that's okay, actually. That's not, that's not bad. We're, that is how humans behave. Mm -hmm. But it is good to have some ground rules before we start arguing so that we don't manipulate it and really hurt people and yeah. um, make people hate us. Yeah. Um, Bob, 
Jonathan Hyde is great, but have you heard of Jordan Peterson? I know Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know, Bob and I are friends for a long time, and we've uh, we've argued. Uh, are, uh, could you call it an argument? I mean, we were in Denver last time. We got to talk about these guys, and yeah, Denver. It, I remember that we were at that uh, that diner with the omelets, burritos, huge burritos. breakfast menu yeah. downtown. Yeah, but it had was a like Western omelet. I think eight thirty at night or something like that. But anyway, we, we Sam's had, number two or something. Right? Uh, yeah, something along those lines. But we anyway, we had a funny conversation about Jonathan, the, the merits of Jonathan Heights work, um, you know, of, of which Bob is yeah. a big proponent of merits of Jordan Peterson's work, which I'm a big proponent of. So that's that's why I, I, I took a friendly shot at Bob for uh, for that particular reason. But I do like what he um, a lot of what he says there, especially about uh, about reasons why we disagree. I don't know if you were going to get into that, but um there's there tends to be certain values that certain kinds of folks or certain virtues maybe that certain kinds of folks emphasize and some are really high on like order and some are high on mercy things along those lines are you able to get into that a little bit i didn't prompt you for that but no jonathan knight has like five major there's kind of uh five value systems that people operate on he would add a sixth Mm -hmm. in his work the righteous mind and so and um, height is spelled h H-A-I-D-T, yeah. One of them is liberty, one's justice, um, one is loyalty. And basically it's like, um, if you just imagine these, these are like these are like five categories that everybody can go from zero to a hundred. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of us have a little bit, but not all of us have the whole, you know, all of them. Right. And um, they're just measurements of kind of how hot we are in an issue. And if, if, you, if you think about arguments, um, you have a person who their entire thing is about loyalty and your entire thing is about justice. Um, that's not going to go well. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing is if you look at scripture or if you look at the founding of America or if you look at great figures. And so if you want to talk about Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King or whatever figure you want to consider mm-hmm. Jesus Christ you can find that stuff in all of them at the moment to make your point. Right. And, and so um, you can find all kinds of things and people to make your point. And height just kind of says, you know, before we start the argument, it might be worth considering kind of what our different value systems are as we get to this. And so at least we don't demonize our opponents. Mm-hmm. And so um, all internet conversations eventually come to the place where somebody gets compared to Hitler. <laughs> what's that called there's like somebody's law right yeah somebody's law i don't know yeah i remember you can look it up yeah yeah, yeah we could uh, i might look that up in post or something in post production and, and maybe put that in the comments or something or put it right. in the description all right so know your subject don't assume the worst i'm kind of lo- listing these as sort of best practices for ways in which we can have healthy disagreements know your subject don't assume the worst about your opponent um I- anything else along those lines that you would want to mention yeah, be generous with, with what they are trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, don't judge people based on your standards of what you wish they had done. Uh, judge them based on what you what, what what you perceive they're trying to do. So like back to the Yelp review. Yeah. It's like, well, were they trying to create what your expectations were? So, I mean, you go and it's, you know, they're charging $8.99 for a sirloin and they have a giant a barrel full of peanuts as you walk in the restaurant and and you went there for your anniversary 
and you thought the service was bad and it wasn't very romantic, well, that's on you. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah. So being generous with what other people were trying to do. And so as we went back before, it's like, you know, you're in some hot conversation, co controversial, contested issue, and they're trying to make a different point than you're trying to make. Mm -hmm. And and hearing a person, um, and so someone comes in a room and they say, man, I, I think we've been really insensitive to a group of people or, hey, and it's like, okay, they said, I think we've been really insensitive to a group of people. How do you meet them on that topic, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, you can see this with our, our current conversation around racial justice Yeah, is like, um, you know, I, I believe we've been sensitive, insensitive to this group of people and you have an argument because someone wants to talk about some totally different policy matter. Right. And so one person comes and says, man, I really think some of our uh, African-American members in our church feel marginalized. And someone's like, well, I'm just saying I'm not into affirmative action. And you're like, you know, it's interesting. We weren't talking about that. We, we're, we didn't go there. Yeah. No. And you that. went there. And now they feel even more marginalized because we were trying to talk about them as humans and you want to talk about some policy, some Supreme, Supreme Court ruling from the 80s or something, yeah. right? And so, and so it's like, be generous to, to kind of what a person's trying to do, where a conversation mm -hmm. is going. Who was it that said something like, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger? I, man, yeah, that where, was the, where... book of, the book of James, I believe. <laughs> I think and, that's right, um, yeah. <laughs> if you want to get technical. Yeah. <laughs> I... And, you know, these aren't just like, I want to say this, like, I think a lot of what I'm talking about is like how to argue. And what I'm saying is I'm not saying be quiet and don't argue. I am not one of those people. And right, so there's a yeah. lot of those talking on the internet and whatever, like, hey, we just all need to be quiet and listen. Like, that's not actually what I'm saying. Yeah. Because um, there are things should... worth speaking up and talking out about. Yeah. Yeah. And like, by the way, everybody wants to talk. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's nothing wrong with speaking. There's nothing wrong with getting information. There's, I mean, I hope people read and argue and have vigorous debate. I mean, I'm great with walking into a barber shop and a bunch of guys are arguing MJ versus LeBron. Like, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think I think we need to. I just think if we want to have productive arguments that aren't about belittling our opponents, we need to have some assumptions about how we do that. Yeah, yeah. I like that uh, example too about uh, MJ versus LeBron. Um, how out of place would it be to say, you know, I, you know you're making your points versus, you know, championship rings versus, you know, uh, you know rebounds and you know, all that stuff. How out of place would it be to say, well, you only think that way because you're a jerk. <laughs> you right. Know? Like, oh, wait a second, right. guys. Uh, that that that's not how we're that's not how we're rolling here yeah and or demeaning a person saying well if you if you had been old enough to see michael jordan play you would think differently well that's that's kind of demeaning yeah um and it might be true by the way i mean there might be some validity to it but it's not going to help you make your point yeah and especially when these topics come to more kind of you know things that are more politically yeah. inclined or religiously minded yeah well, you mentioned LBGTQ, uh, LBGTQ issues. You mm -hmm. mentioned racial uh, racial justice issues. Yeah, those are those are definitely more serious than um, and then you know who's the goat in the right. NBA. Yeah, right. Yeah. So know your subject. Don't assume the worst about your 
opponent, which I think then the flip side of that is be generous with what other people are trying to do. Um, that is actually the positive, uh, you know, the, the, the positive action item, if you want to say, to, you know, not assuming the worst about your opponent. Instead, actually try to understand what they're, what they're wanting to do. Bob, anything else you would add to that list? No, that, that, I, and just kind of, you know, probably if I had to say something, I would say in a conversation, the, the easiest way to meter uh, your argument mm -hmm. is, um, am I doing 49% or less of the talking? Interesting. Yeah. Um, in any conversation of four people, the, it never usually stays at 25, 25, 25, 25. Mm -hmm. And I, as I said before, I'm not the guy who's saying be quiet the whole time, but it, it would be interesting. Um, am I wearing people down? Yeah. Which is, you know, some of us are talkers and, you know, some people are better talkers than others too. And some people have more interesting things to say. So it's not mm -hmm. all, I mean, but, but we might annoy people if we're just taking all the air out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's an incredibly useful uh, metric is uh, like how much of the talking in the room are you doing? I, I really like that because that's, that's something that should be pretty easy to, to figure out. Um, you and I work together in a, kind of an unofficial capacity there at uh, the Church of Christ at White Station. I was, um, for one semester, I was the, I was for, for at the, at the risk of self-aggrandizement, I was the Greek language expert for the, for the Wednesday night uh, prep class. Yes. Yeah. We're one of the few churches that had that role, but we were very proud. And it, I mean, I absolutely love that class. Uh, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, which uh, will probably be most of you, um, every, you know, and about every semester, you know, the folks there at White Station would have somebody come in to, uh, to present kind of a Friday evening, Saturday morning uh, seminar on whatever particular book of the Bible White Station was going to study during that time. And, um, you know, for, for one year, um, they did, I think, Luke and Acts. And, and for one of those classes, I was able to sit in on a Wednesday night class that would, um, oh, no, uh, Philippians. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Philippians was the year because I, I found my notes from that. You know, I, I got them from Dave Bland, um, you know, year, years ago. I, I was turning these in. But they had um, for Wednesday nights, you'd have a time where you'd where all the Sunday school teachers would study the particular text that we were going to go over in their own classes. And then, you know, my role was basically to comment on, hey, OK, when Paul uses this particular Greek term or you know, here's some kind of social or historical context that might really help us understand some of these terms that Paul uses in Philippians 2, stuff like that in that class which was a wonderful class, there were still times when, uh, when a couple of folks would, um, would just not be able to read the room very well. And in a class that was usually somewhere between you know, at least like five to 10 people, it was rarely, uh, help me with my math, it was rarely like 10% and 10% and 10%. It was, it was often, you know, 60% with one person, just totally missed. Kind of, uh, kind of the unwritten rules of being able to dialogue in these kinds of environments. It might have helped them to know this list, Bob. Yeah, I mean, and you know, if nothing else, it will make 
Yelp a better place than TripAdvisor <laughs> and all of these all of these things. I, I more useful, yeah. It, it's really more helpful. And if you read, um, I'll give some resources that I think are really good. Um, but um, read the better magazines. It is really interesting if you look at things like um, some of the reviews of mm-hmm. travel. Uh, some of the great travel writers, some of the great food writers, some of the great um, sports writers, they're not very opinionated. It, it, mm-hmm. You know, it's really interesting when you sit down and read it, like the great Sports Illustrated articles that would have been like the ones that are like reporters and they tell the story so well. Yeah. And if you listen to these guys, even like on, I mean, listen to the CBS game with Tony Romo and Jim Nance and or listen to the Collinsworth Al Michaels game on Sunday night and like listen to the way they call the game it's not like they just hit the microphone with hot takes about who's bad you know yeah the way they set the context for loving the game Mm -hmm. and helping the viewer understand the game yeah provides trust and so then in the third quarter when Collinsworth wants to say like this quarterback is not getting the job done, it's not um, out of, it's not out of nowhere. It's not a a huge slam. It's just honest commentary. That's his job. But you build the whole, you kind of, you know, you kind of build the room by helping people understand what we're talking about. And most relationships we have just don't get to that place where you kind of paint the picture. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but the greats do, um, that most of the people who have opinions that we value, I, I, would, I would say David Brooks in the New York times, his opinion pieces are not really a lot of opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you read them, they do a lot of time kind of working through other books he's read and articles and kind of painting a picture. Um, it's not, he just doesn't launch in there and just start, you know, hammering people. So yeah, with, with things like that, it almost seems like it's less about, the person and more about the more about kind of getting to, I don't know if truth is the right word, but getting to necessarily the, the truth of the thing that they're trying to talk about yeah, and the, the maybe the purity of the exercise and in, in remarking on this thing or evaluating whatever it is on its own merits and on what it's trying to do. Like what you said about this hypothetical pizzeria that you, that you mentioned a few moments ago. Yeah. yeah, I'd really rather talk about pizza than anything else. And I mean, sign me up, man. I, I'm I'm from my church office. I can see a a anniversary night pizzeria and Domino's down the street. <laughs> right. Both have their merits. Both have their merits. Um, yeah. but but we got to know what we're talking about. Um, and what what are they trying to do, and what are they charging, and all that. And I know that sounds like a big long exercise. It's really not. Mm-hmm. Um. Most, most times that we're most inclined to have the strongest opinions, we have the least information. Once you get in and appreciate all of the information, your opinion kind of mellows. Um, yeah. If that's one thing that I learned in ministry, it's once you kind of start getting around to looking in the closets and looking in all the, you know, digging deep through things, things do get a little complicated mm-hmm. and it, it's not, everything doesn't quite seem so simple. And I think all of us know that in life yeah. when we're right in the middle of it, um, things feel complicated and have a lot of nuance and it, it just requires a different kind of tool to do surgery on it. Yeah. Yeah. But if you just want to turn on the morning, um, cable news, right. Any, any, anyone can sit there and make grouchy comments to the TV mm-hmm. for an hour and a half every morning. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I'm like what you're saying about, you know, kind of knowing your subject and these last comments that you just made. I can, I can see value in it, not just to give you kind of a more robust knowledge of the thing that you're wanting to comment on, but it might also give you enough time to maybe calm down when you initially see something that, that kind of rubs you the wrong way. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the first thing you saw isn't actually true. Maybe right. that was a misunderstanding. Maybe that was somebody blowing something out of proportion. Yeah. Bob, I know you need to head out to here in just a second. Uh, any final final words as we wrap up? No, keep arguing. Uh, keep doing it honestly. Keep doing it with integrity and with information and don't be a jerk. Yeah. All right. Bob, really appreciate your time today. And thank you for not being a jerk with me. <laughs> never. Never with you, Kevin. You're, doing a great, right. you're doing a great job and I appreciate you and I'm glad you have this platform. Likewise, sir. Thank you very much. Bob, take care, brother. Talk to you later. Yeah.